1: Well, good evening and welcome to our Tuesday evening Bible study. We're grateful to be able to do this each uh, week or sometimes every other week, I guess, is when we do it. But tonight we're looking at the book of 1 John. We're continuing our series studying through segments of the different chapters in the book of 1 John. And tonight we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 7. We're actually going to study right up through verse 14. And we're going to be talking about the new commandment. So I want you to be thinking about that. This is a a reference that John makes uh, in regard to something that Jesus said during the course of his earthly ministry. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, by the way, tonight on our call, we have guests from Pennsylvania. We have guests from Washington, North Carolina, and New Hampshire. And, uh, and Pennsylvania's got, I think, just about all regions of Pennsylvania represented tonight. So Pennsylvania, I guess, wins the prize again uh, tonight. So if you don't hear your state represented, we hope you'll be able to join us live for one of our Bible studies in coming weeks. But again, we're talking about the New Commandment tonight from First John chapter 2, starting with verse 7. And as we've done over the past few weeks, I want to just give us a little bit of review of the book of First John. I'm trying to do this a little bit more just to make sure that we have the historical context straight in our minds. But the book of First John was written by the Apostle John right around the year 90, so right around A.D. 90. And it was written from the city of Ephesus. John had a, a pastoral ministry there. He served there for a time. And uh, this was also written before John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And on Patmos, that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. And John tried to accomplish multiple things with this letter, including helping to bolster the faith of believers and correct false teaching that was being spread. And I often think about what life was like during the era of the early church. And one of the advantages we have that they did not have is that we have the completed scriptures, And they didn't have that. They were still being written. The New Testament was still being written. And so in the midst of that context, there were people that took advantage of that and started spreading false doctrines and false teaching. And so one of the challenges that the apostles and early church leaders had was correcting false doctrine. And so that was something that John attempted to do in this letter. And that's certainly something he succeeded at doing. Now, throughout the course of this letter, when you look at the various things that John brings up, John stressed a variety of concepts like having fellowship with God, uh, the need for believers to confess our sin. That's one of my favorite portions of chapter one that we already covered, but I really think that that's something that's that's a, a great benefit for us as believers to really be thinking about. Uh, John covers the concepts of, of loving God and loving one another. We're going, we're going to see that rather heavily in the scripture that we're looking at tonight. He also talks about knowing God personally, and he makes a great emphasis in this letter on acknowledging Christ's divinity. And we can see that uh, in just the earliest section of this book, but you can see that in a variety of ways as we read through the book. Now, in tonight's passage, We're going to be seeing the apostle John teaching about what he refers to as a new commandment. Now he's not the only one that has referred to this as a new commandment. Jesus also referred to it as a new commandment, but ironically it can also be thought of as an old commandment and you'll see John bring out that that difference, you know, referencing it as old and reference, referencing it as new and we'll explain why he would say it that way as we uh, get to those specific verses. But I'll just kind of throw this out there as a question for us to wrestle with this evening. What is this new commandment that John is speaking about? I want that to be in the back of our minds as we prepare to look at this passage. What is this new commandment? And how does it connect to our mission to love God and love others? Because there's a direct correlation to this new commandment and the mission we've been given to love God and to love others. So we're going to talk about that as we work our way through the passage. And I'm going to start us off tonight with 1 John chapter 2 verses 7 and 8, and the concept that we can see in this group of verses is the fact that the darkness is passing away, so don't embrace it. Look at how John states it in this passage. He says, "Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning." The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now let's pause there for just a moment and think about some of the things that the Apostle John stressed in our opening verses tonight. So he starts off this section by, first of all, addressing the church, and he calls them Beloved. So this is something that that John tends to do a lot. He does this in the gospel that he wrote. He does this in his letters. He also emphasizes this in a variety of ways in the book of Revelation. Those are the, the five books that he's written, three letters, one gospel, one book of Revelation, uh, but he emphasizes love. And you can see that in tonight's chapter or tonight's section from chapter two, but you can see this all throughout his writing. And so it's not a surprise to me that he would choose to use the word Beloved, as he was speaking to the church, this is how he thought, this is how he operated. I imagine that the Apostle John was a very enjoyable person to get to know. He seemed to have a very loving demeanor. The way he interacted with Christ during the course of Christ's earthly ministry, um, it was very obvious that John loved Jesus, and he was very receptive to the love of Christ, and that that really was the defining feature of John's life. And so he starts us off by just calling the church beloved, and I believe he meant it. He meant it in in a very deep and very personal way. And he says, I'm writing you no new commandment. So he's saying the information I'm giving to you isn't really new. It's, this isn't, this is a commandment, but it's not, it's not really new. He says it's an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So he's saying this is something you've had for a while. This is something that, that has been stressed in a variety of ways and not just recently. And he says, the old commandment is the word. That you have heard. So let's think about this. What's he talking about? What's this old commandment that's the word that they have heard? He, you know, he's, he's speaking of this as if it's something that is very familiar to the church. And so I imagine that as they were reading this and as they were thinking about this, they're like, all right, what's he getting at? What, what is this old commandment that we've had from the beginning? What is this, this, uh, the, the word that we've heard? What have we heard? What's he stressing? But then he gives some clarification when you get to verse 8. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. So he's saying it's old and it's new. Well, how can it be both? (laughs) How can this be both an old commandment and a new commandment? What is he referencing? Well, to help give some clarity to this, it's helpful for us to, to kind of understand what he was referencing from the Gospels. And I'm going to to just reference something for us from the Gospel of John. So John wrote this down as the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so. He was writing down the words of Christ. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, you see the answer to what John is referencing here. And I'm just going to read this for us. This is from John, chapter 13, verse 34. And John quotes Jesus as having said this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then Jesus also said this. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's a powerful portion of Scripture. And I think that this would be something that the Apostle John pretty much carried with him as his mantra, as the thing that he would think about frequently, as the way he wanted his life defined. He wanted to be someone who was known for living out this commandment. Now, in one sense, it's old. In another sense, it's new. It's old in the sense that, you know, as Jesus is talking about this idea of loving one another as, as we have been loved by him. Well, that's not a new concept to John chapter 13. I mean, that's something that the Old Testament scriptures stress as well. So in that respect, it's an old concept. The Lord has, has communicated this in many ways throughout the course of human history. But Jesus refers to it as new where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And what Jesus is doing is he's reiterating this, and he's saying, all right, here under this new covenant era, this New Testament era, I'm, I'm emphasizing this again. So it's new in the sense that it's got a renewed emphasis. He's bringing it back to everybody's mind. He's pointing it out to people and saying, this is something that we need to give special attention to, because he's saying in this era, in this church age that you and I live in, he's saying this is how people will actually know that you're his disciples. This is how people will know that we follow Jesus. They will see the love that we have for one another. And so it's new in its emphasis. This commandment is new in its, just in its renewed focus that we love one another, so it's old and it's new. That's what John's getting at, and he's stressing what Jesus was teaching in John 13, verse 34. And why should we love one another? And why should we love the Lord? And why should we do so in a way that reflects the heart of Christ? Well, John gives us a little bit more clarity and a little bit more emphasis here when he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying we're to love one another as Christ has loved us because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I think that that's a very helpful thing to see, this idea that the darkness is passing away. The fact that the darkness doesn't have this lasting hold. The darkness doesn't have uh, a lasting effect ultimately on the Lord's creation, That, that the darkness is passing away. And the true light, the light of Christ, the light of his gospel, the light of his love is already shining, and the light of Christ permeates that darkness, and it defeats the darkness. The darkness is passing away, and the true light reigns victorious. The light of Christ that, by the way, shines through you and through me when we demonstrate the love of Christ to one another. So you can see why John was emphasizing these things. I actually think it's rather helpful uh, as he does so. But look at what he says when we get into verse 9 down through verse 11 of First John chapter 2. He encourages us, since this light is shining, the light of Christ, he encourages us to abide in the light, so live our life in the light, so we won't stumble. Look at how he phrases it when we get into 1 John 2, verse 9, and the verses following. He says it this way. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's a very definitive group of sentences. There's some very definitive statements that John makes there, and he's trying to show us what it actually looks like to live for Christ in the midst of a dark world. And so John gives us a very specific example here, and he's basically showing us what it looks like to, in a sense, contrast what Jesus said in John 13, 34. Again, in John 13, 34, Jesus encouraged us to love One another, And he says that this is how the world is going to know we are his disciples. But John is saying here, he's saying, all right, well, if you say you're in the light and keep in mind, there were false teachers at the time who said they were in the light. But John gives a little bit of a test here. It's an internal test for us, but it's also a test that could possibly uh, demonstrate who was a false teacher. But he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. So you can't say that you're walking in the light of Christ if you're filled with hate. If you hate your brother, if you are united to somebody in Christ, they are therefore your spiritual brother, and you, and you then claim to hate them, he's saying that's demonstrating the fact that you're still in darkness. You're not walking in the light of Christ. If you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. And, and so John's saying that, that hatred, hatred for one another, contrasts, that new commandment that Christ has given to us. Christ is emphasizing this. He's emphasizing love for one another as we have received love. He's saying, if you love one another, you're showing that you walk in the light. But here, if someone says he's in the light and hates his brother, John says, they are, in effect, still in darkness. And then he clarifies even further. When you get into verse 10, he says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling i 've mentioned this before, but in our church sanctuary, I have a, a series of night lights that go along the the left wall the the wall that uh, my office is on. My office is on the far end of the church, and I have to walk through the sanctuary to be able to leave the church when I'm, I'm leaving there. And during this time of year, uh, before it, it fully gets light in the evening, there are a lot of times when I'll be in my office. And by the time I leave, the rest of the church is dark, especially on days when I'm the only one there. And for a long time, I used to crash into the chairs that were in the sanctuary when I would try to walk from my office to the back. And I thought, all I need is just maybe a few night lights here because the rest of the lights in the building weren't on. And so I went on Amazon and bought some lights and put them around. And it was great because when I have a little bit of light, I don't end up tripping. I don't end up stumbling. I don't end up falling into those chairs like I had been doing, or at least banging my, my uh, legs off them and then bruising my legs. It wasn't pleasant. And, uh, and here John is saying, when, when you're in the light, when you're walking in the light, you're not going to stumble. It's when we try and walk in the darkness that we stumble. And he's using this as an analogy for falling into sin. So if we're walking in darkness, we're going to find ourselves tripping and falling into all kinds of sin that is unhealthy and unwise and ungodly. But he's saying if you love your brother, what you're doing is you're showing that you're abiding in the light. You're living your life in the light of Christ and that provides no cause for stumbling, no reason to stumble because you're walking in the light. But again, he stresses in verse 11, he says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And he's saying that again, very definitively. It's not a maybe statement he's saying if, you're, if your heart is filled with hatred, you hate your brother you are in the darkness and you walk in the darkness and he says and and does not know where he is going. So if you're walking in the darkness, you don't know where you're going. Even though you may claim to know where you're going, and you may claim to have all sorts of control over your life, he's saying you absolutely don't because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So darkness is blinding. And when you look at what scripture tells us about the activity of Satan, one of the things that Satan loves to do is to blind people's eyes. I don't know if you've ever uh, had the experience where you've shared the gospel with someone who, as of yet, does not believe in Christ, and you can tell that it's not clicking in their head, or they're not understanding it, or they're not receiving it. And you you look at it and you're thinking, all right, why are they not receiving it? I think one of the things that makes it difficult sometimes for an unbeliever to receive the truth is because Satan has actively blinded their eyes to the truth. And so one of the things that I, I have taken to, to start praying for is that the Holy Spirit would remove those blinders, that the Holy Spirit would, would enable the unbelieving person to see and likewise that if there's any blindness in in my life or in my eyes that he would help me to see and and likewise for all of us. But we don't want to be people who just stumble around not knowing where we're going. We want to walk in the light. We want to abide in the light so that we aren't living a life just filled with stumbling into sin after sin after sin. Well John goes on even further when we when we get into verses 12 and 13 of 1st John chapter 2 where he starts talking about how knowing the Lord benefits the entire church. And I love the examples that he gives us in these verses. Let me read them for us. Here he says this, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Then he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he goes one step further and he says, I I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So think about these examples that he gives us here. He's showing us that that knowing the Lord, it it ultimately benefits the entire church. Think of the examples he gives. So he starts off here by saying, I'm writing to you, little children. Now, this is a term that he has used elsewhere in this book. And I believe he uses this term in a variety of ways. But one of the ways he uses it is just a, a term of affection. I know last time we were talking about the fact that that he, as a spiritual leader, would look at people as, as a, a father would look at their children. You know, He's, he's their, like a spiritual father to them. Many of them have come to faith in Christ through John's ministry. And so he says, I'm writing to you little children. So in some respects, maybe he's writing to young people who are young in age. But I also think it's probably likely that this term is also being used for people who are new Christians. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So he's reminding young people, he's reminding new believers, I believe, of the fact that their sins have been forgiven uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Then he goes on to say, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him, who is from the beginning. So he's showing, you know, someone who's at a more advanced age. He's saying you've known him who is from the beginning. So he's he's talking about a relationship maybe that has been ongoing for a while. And again, I think that that could mean mean people who, who are fathers in the biological sense, that they're at an advanced age. But I also think he's probably talking in the spiritual sense of people who have been believers for a while people who have known the Lord for a while. He says, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I think that there's an application to both. And then he talks about young men here. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. So in that context there, he's talking, you know, again, I think he could be talking about people biologically, certainly, but I think he's also talking about people who are still on the young side of their faith, but at the same time, they're, they're not brand new children in faith. They're young men. And here he's talking about strength and how they've overcome the evil one. And typically, when you think of a young man, you tend to think of someone who's at the peak of their physical strength. My wife and I are blessed with with uh, two young men, two sons. One is, is uh, he'll, well, he'll be 19 in a few days, and the other is 17. And uh I have to tell you both of us are happy for the fact that they are very useful when we need to move things. I know that recently I was I, I ordered a cord of wood and we were stocking up our um our, our wood carol. And I, I had one of my sons help me carry all that wood. And I know that one of our neighbors just a few days ago had those boys build a gazebo for them. They literally built a gazebo for our neighbor. And uh, they were exhausted after, the, after they did that, but he was utilizing their strength. And so physically speaking, we would tend to think of a young man as being physically strong. But I think that there's a deeper meaning to what John's saying here. He's saying young men, so, so people who have come along a little bit now in their faith, They're still young, but they've developed some strength. And he's saying, all right, in that strength, you've overcome the evil one, the strength that Christ has supplied to you. You've overcome the evil one. And then he also says something that I think is an affectionate statement. He also says, and I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So he's talking about the joy that that we as spiritual children have, in knowing God the Father. So he, he's he's showing again how, how knowing the Lord benefits the entire church, and he's giving examples of this. But he does this in the verses that come up after this as well, or in, in verse fourteen specifically, and he talks about this idea of overcoming in an additional way, and so I'll just ask us the question before I read verse fourteen of first John two are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? So he reiterates a few things here, but let me read what he says. He says, I write to you, fathers." So again, this is verse 14. I write to you, Fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. So we've seen him say a very similar thing in an earlier verse there, but he says it again for emphasis. I write to you, Fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he, he goes into more detail about these young men that he's writing to. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Well, how do we become strong? Well, we become strong through the power of God. We become strong as we trust in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And the word of God abides in us, and we become less likely to be deceived when the word of God is on the forefront of our minds. And here he's saying, all right, young men, the word of God abides in you. And because the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. It's with the word of God that that we have that offensive weapon that we can stand up against the the deceptive schemes of the evil one. If you remember during the time when Christ was being tempted in the wilderness, in the desert, right? What What was taking place? Well, the devil was trying to tempt Jesus in a variety of ways. And what did Jesus do with each tempting statement that the devil threw at him? Jesus quoted scripture. In fact, Jesus, in in multiple examples there, he keeps quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. keeps quoting from Deuteronomy to the devil. In fact, there's a song uh, that Rich Mullins wrote quite a few years ago now, a couple decades ago, maybe even 30 years ago now at this point. Uh, It's just called Quoting Deuteronomy to the Devil. And that's the same concept that John is talking about here, this idea of quoting Scripture to the devil. The Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And that's something that even tonight as we're gathered together looking at what Scripture says, what we're doing is we're filling our minds and we're filling our hearts with the truth of Scripture. And that truly does help us in our times of testing. When the devil loves to tempt us, when the devil loves to, to, to sling his arrows at us, when he loves to try and influence us with worldly thinking and with worldly living, we don't have to give in to that because the word of God abides in us and we have overcome the evil one by the power of Jesus Christ. So are you an overcomer. These are some useful things to think about when we, we think about this new commandment that John stresses in 1 John chapter 2. Now, in just a moment, we're going to uh, open up our, our panel here for some discussion, and I have some questions that I want to ask. I also want to let you know, even before we uh, start discussing these things, that on March 30th, so this is two weeks from tonight, March 30th, we're going to be looking at First John chapter two, starting with verse 15, and we're going to study from verse 15 down to verse 17. So it's a shorter section, and we're going to be talking about the fact that we should not love the world. In fact, in First John chapter two, starting with verse 15, that section teaches us, "Do not love the world." And so on March 30th, we hope you can join us. If you're accessing this recording via the podcast, we invite you to join us on March 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern for our Bible study that evening. We'd love to have you here, and um, you can find more information about that, including the link to join us at desirejesus.com slash Bible study. I'll say it again, desirejesus.com bible study and we 'd love for you to join us for our next study on March thirtieth at eight p m eastern now i 'm going to stop my screen share here and i 'm going to bring our guests up on the screen so that we could uh, discuss a variety of things like i said we have we have guests this evening from Pennsylvania from different corners of Pennsylvania and uh, Washington and North Carolina and new hampshire so it 's always fun to see which coasts get represented on our calls. That's also fun to see uh, which states and sometimes which countries get represented as well. But I'm going to throw out our first question for our, our uh, panel this evening, our, our group this evening. And uh, my first question for us is this, as we think about the new commandment that John brings up in this passage of scripture, uh, my question for us is, what's the hardest part of living out the Christian message for you? What's the hardest part? Because John was talking about this idea of loving one another. He's talking about this idea of of walking in the light, abiding in the light. And so these are things that Jesus emphasized. We saw this emphasized in John chapter 13 as well. And I'm just curious if if that specifically is a hard part of living out the Christian message for you, or if there's another part of uh, just living out our faith that you would say, no, that, that part might be... Maybe the hardest for me. Who wants to take the, the bite at our first question? What's the hardest part of living out the Christian message for you? All right, Brian, he, he broke the ice for us tonight. Brian's our icebreaker. What do you think, Brian?
2: Personally, for me, the hardest challenge is, is um, yeah, loving my brother, because I know I can be a stinker when I stumble, and the hardest part is remembering to be graceful and forgiving on that aspect with others. Because I want people to be um, forgiving and, and graceful with me when I stumble and um, <clears throat> offend somebody. Uh, it's hard to remember that the other person that needs forgiveness thinks the same way.
1: Yeah, it's, that, that could be a very challenging part. And I even wonder, and obviously I don't want you to say any names, but when we were looking through that portion of Scripture together tonight, did any specific people in your life or in your past come to mind? No. No. No, all right. I'm seeing Don Kaler like shaking his head. Yes, a few people come to mind. Sometimes when I look at at uh, portions of scripture like that, I almost I have a few people that that will come to mind, and I think, all right, they are more work for me to love than others. You know, there's some people in my life, and and Brian, maybe you have. I'm sure there are people in your life that you find easy to love, right? Yeah, yeah there there's some people that are just on uh, in our life that they're just so easy to love. You know, they're just they, maybe they demonstrate love so easily or, or what, and then there are other people that come our way that it's, it's extra work. So, so what works for you? I'll just ask as a follow-up, Brian, since, um, since you brought that up, you know, what works for you when you're trying to live out the love of Christ, what helps you get to that spot where, where you're saying, and I think you kind of gave your answer already, but maybe we'll just emphasize it. What helps you when you're trying to love someone who maybe is making themselves a little bit unlovable?
2: Uh, One, being sensitive enough to be aware that I have um, some sort of contention approaching that person will allow me to to be aware that, okay, there's something going on here. And then ask for um, the power of Christ. Ask for the Lord to be on board as I approach that person.
1: Excellent. Yeah, very good. Yeah, not trying to rely on your own strength, but seeking the power that Christ supplies us. to to love because ultimately we're trying to love with the love that he gave us first. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good point. We can't rely on our own strength. If we, if we rely on our own strength, all that does is make us legalists who idolize our own abilities and we don't want to do that. So that's a good point. Uh, some, someone else, I, I wonder if anyone else wants to chime in on that one. What's the hardest part for you of living out the Christian message?
3: I think that, um, uh, in the new commandment uh one of the major uh, points is that christ says to love as he has loved us and opposed to uh the old commandment of uh loving as uh yourself uh and and christ's love for us is different than our love for ourself we can be very tough on ourselves, and uh it's um uh clarified when he says to forgive and to love your enemies um I think that's very hard to do, uh, to love someone who is actively being uh, hateful towards you. Uh, uh, But that's what he's called us to do. And that's uh, something we we can all uh,
1: work on. Do you think, Ian, do you think that, do you almost expect that to be tested more during this era of human history for us as believers? Oh, yes. Because I I, I think more and more every day. Yeah. Even as you're saying that, I'm thinking that. It's very possible that, I mean, I I think this is tested in every era, right? It's not unique to us, but I think that in our era, there are going to be some very interesting and maybe even unique opportunities for us to live that out where, you know, as you phrased it, where someone expresses a certain degree of hate toward you and yet your response is not to be in kind, right? It's not to respond with hate. You know, hate doesn't dispel hate. We want to ultimately abide in the love of Christ and display love even to those that are hateful toward us. It's good. Uh, any other thoughts on that or any other comments? How about this how, how do you feel so John stresses this like right after that, right after he's talking about that in basically in the same breath, he talks about this idea. That the darkness is passing away. Did that statement catch anyone's attention when we were looking at that? Where he says the darkness is passing away. Uh, so I find that statement. Um, I well, I won't. I won't reveal my answer on this right away. But I will say this: that statement definitely has an impact on me when I pause to think about what that means. That's a statement that catches my attention when going through those verses. So I'd just be curious uh, to the group, how do you feel about the reality that the darkness is passing away? Like John stresses in this passage, how how do you feel about that when he says the darkness is passing away? Does it feel like it's passing away? What do you think about it? Yeah, Paul.
4: We're on a journey and we're all um, at different points along that pathway uh, following Christ. Um, So hopefully we're, we're trying to uh, have the darkness recede and the brightness come. But I was thinking while the others were speaking of uh, uh, the passage of scripture that says that God call that God causes the uh, rain to fall on the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, uh, there's two ways of looking at that scripture too. It may be, you know, that am I am I the good or am I the bad? But when am I the good and when am I the bad? And God's rain is always falling on all of us, but uh, we we uh, we're good and uh, we can be real good. But when we're bad, we can be real bad. Hmm. And um, the the idea of uh, darkness uh, receding. Uh, is the more we give ourselves over to the image of Christ.
1: It's interesting. We have a nice natural uh, illustration of that right now. as the days get a little bit longer for us right here at the uh, start of the spring? I'm everyone excited about that. The fact that we have a little bit more daylight right now. I I definitely am. Yeah. Um, and so Paul, even as you as you're saying that, you know, um, the the phrase I like the way you phrase that. The idea of the darkness receding as we're as we're on this journey, as we're seeking to grow in our walk with Christ, we want to ultimately abide in his light more and more and more in the darkness receding from our lives uh, as we grow in our walk with Christ, as our faith matures, which I think very much fits with what's being said there. Yeah.
4: yeah the only thing I'll say is that uh, yeah, daylight savings time is a nice thing, but when I stayed up too late Saturday <laughs> night uh, doing stuff to prepare for Sunday, uh, when I had to get up uh, on Sunday an hour earlier, uh, it wasn't that joyful. But
1: yeah.
4: we, we get through you this. felt term. it.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was exhausted on Sunday afternoon. And we had a whole bunch of things to do. And it, it, on Sunday night, I went to bed way earlier than I normally do. And I was like, wow, I'm just I'm just spent. Although maybe I shouldn't even say way earlier than I normally did. I don't think so. It was the same time as it was the night before. Just the clock's at a different time. It's playing tricks on me. I got to pay attention to that. But yeah, I like, I like the darkness receding, but I, I'm also curious. So, all right, I'll, I'll tell you guys what I was thinking of a little bit here um, in reading that sometimes I look at culture and I I feel like we hit new low, after new low, after new low, you know, I I saw something the other day where they were talking about the Grammy awards. Now I don't pay attention to any of that stuff. I don't care about any of that stuff. But if you, if you even hear anything about news, you're going to hear about some of that. And uh, one of the commentators I was listening to was describing some of the things that were taking place on the Grammy awards. And I thought, why is like, why is that even allowed to be shared over the airwaves you know i'll think about that and i'm also thinking why is this so popular you know why is this okay why why do we as human beings gravitate towards such low things so frequently and it just seemed very very dark some of the things he was describing and i thought all right first of all i'm glad i don't watch that stuff but second of all i don't even know that i wish that I listened to his description of it because it just seems so dark. And then you look at what this portion of scripture says, and it, it reminds us, yeah, we're in the midst of a lot of darkness right now, but the darkness is passing away. And I know for me, it helps to think about the fact that darkness doesn't win the day. The darkness of sin doesn't win the day. It's passing away. For a moment, it looks strong. For a moment, it looks prevalent for a moment it seems to have a grip on the minds and the lives of so many people but it's passing away it's not going to last forever does that have an emotional impact on uh, anyone else here yeah go ahead paul i see your hand up go ahead paul. i
4: was just going to say uh i'm reminded again of scripture where jesus says you know don't worry about this kind of, i have overcome the world
1: i've overcome the world uh, and
4: that that's a real important thing just one other comment since you were talking about society today um i find it interesting um, I, I thought it was, uh, I was not surprised at all when uh, the news decided to make a big deal out of Francis's statement. Uh, I'm not a Roman Catholic, but, you know, when, when he said that, you, that God isn't going to be blessing a sinful act,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
4: that this, they, they, they couldn't understand that. And how could he be so, how could he be so un, 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 un unloving and uncaring? And I go, you people just, you don't understand yeah they, they, and and but that's that's the world you know we live in a world uh that rejects uh the truth even though the truth will set it free um so we live we live in this and uh, we've been living in it for centuries
1: right yeah it's it, it's kind of like the old and the new just like the commandment right you know we we've, we've seen it before and we're living in it now but i have to tell you it does you know I want to be optimistic, right, and since I believe that Christ wins the day, um it does do my heart good to think about that the darkness is passing away. I like that statement here in first John. it does help me I mean, Andrea, could you just react to that just as a mom you know when you think about i'm I, you know the things that that you you wrestle to kind of shelter your your children from certain influences and things like that like what do you think when you when you see that statement the darkness? is passing away.
0: Yeah. It's a relief because, you know, you watch as so much of the culture tries to uh, get its fingers on our children and the way they think and the things they are attracted to and, um, and things like that. And just the reminder that, you know, Jesus is and will continue to be victorious and, you know, and ultimately, like he does win, and and that's a um, that's a real relief because you know you you watch as you get to a point where you have less and less. Well, it feels like you have less and less control over you know what they're because doing. You do <laughs>
1: you do have um, less and less control. Yeah, and it. just
0: a a reminder that you know like they were his to begin with, so like they continue to be his, and and he he will be victorious in their lives too
1: yeah absolutely. That's a good way to phrase it. It's a good reminder. Um, all right, how about this? So John talks about this idea of hating your brother, right? You know so we we, we talked about this idea in you know like the new commandment. Um, but he stresses it in two sections there, essentially uh, in in the section that we just looked at. So in your opinion, what's the remedy? For hating your brother like if you're really wrestling with this you know if there's somebody and, and what I mean by that and I, I think what scriptures getting at is you know if you're if you're um, you know like fomenting hatred against somebody that you should have a kinship with or someone that you should be thinking of more as your neighbor than your enemy so what do you what do you think in your opinion what's the remedy what fixes this for you if you're wrestling with hatred?
5: Well, John's tells us there to walk in the light, to walk, walk in
1: the light. Yeah. So, so extrapolate that for us, Pastor Tim.
5: Well, uh, walking in the truth of God's word, as we relate to one another, because he says, if we, of course, if we're walking in darkness, then there's no love in us. Right. Uh, walking in the light of the truth of God's word, loving our brother. Uh, it may be, it may mean praying for them when we don't feel like praying for them or doing a good deed when we don't feel like doing a good deed. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, walking in the light of, uh, I see God just through His Word. And,
1: and I, I like those two examples that you you brought up because I, I had an instance a few years ago where I, if I'm honest with you, I was really struggling with ill will towards somebody that I could tell if I let that get out of hand, it was going to just boil over into hatred. And I thought, as, if I'm calling myself a follower of Christ, I can't let this go. That direction in my mind, and the two things that you just brought up there, Tim, are two things that the I remember at the time the Holy Spirit really bringing to my mind. Number one, pray for that person. It's very hard to hate people that you pray for. You know, when you when you're when you're praying for people regularly, it's very hard to ask God to bless them and to do good things in their life and then feel ill will in your heart toward them. But then the second thing you said there was to kind of follow it up with some sort of action where you actually try to bless them in some way or do a good deed for them or whatever. And there was a very specific thing that the Lord seemed to be impressing upon my heart to do in a very tangible way for someone that I was struggling with ill feelings toward. It was those two things that you just mentioned that I remember at the time as I was praying, You know, the, the, I could just tell that the Holy Spirit was saying, all right, continue to lift this person up in prayer and do this specific thing for them. And I watched my attitude change. I watched my bitterness melt away. And that's not, you know, a lot of times it's easy for us to talk about things that are ancient history in our lives and pretend like we don't struggle in the present. But this wasn't all that long ago. You know, this was something I was really wrestling with not a long time ago. And so that's like a recent thing in my life. And I I could tell I, I knew where my emotions were going. And I thought, boy, I feel so deeply offended by this person that this can turn into bitterness and that can turn into hatred. And I don't want to go down that road because I've been down that road and it's not a good road to spend time on. And it does not reflect the heart of Christ. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, the, these are things, this is the remedy, right? This is the remedy for hatred, by the way. I, I I'm sure we're familiar with this already, but I'll, I'll say this in case, um, anyone isn't, and knowing that there are some of you listening on our podcast uh, that maybe this would be some new information for. In Christ's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus equates hatred with what? What does he say it's equal to? Murder. Murder, right? So why, why do you suppose, so here you have John saying, all right, don't go in the direction of hatred because that's not walking in the light. That's not abiding in the light. Don't hate your brother. And then Jesus says that hatred, he equates it with murder. Why do you suppose Jesus equates hatred with murder? Why does he equate the two? Because doesn't murder seem like the most extreme thing you can do to somebody? And yet Jesus equates hatred with murder. Why Why are they equated in, well, in his teaching? Yeah, Brian, I'll, go
2: ahead. I'll step in with the answer there because I'm still working on um, how do you remedy um, <clears throat> if you don't have love for your brother. Um, I go back to it, it's exactly that. If I don't have love, then I can't give what I don't have.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that puts me on notice of, okay, I'm not in the light because if I don't have love to give, then I'm not looking at my source. Um, and so, I, yeah, you, you have to look to Christ for that love. If you don't have it to give, that's right. where it needs to come in.
1: These are um, sufficient. Yeah,
2: yeah. So that ties right back into. Um, I'm sorry, I just uh, lost the connection to where we're starting from with this
1: question. Well, the, the idea: of Why do you suppose Jesus equates oh, hatred with murder? Thank you.
2: Because yeah. um, if you don't have love to give, well, I mean, it's hate is the lack of love. Christ is love. That it's the opposite of what Christ is offering and what He's giving.
1: Like the idea of withholding love when it's in your power to give it. Yes. Is effectively hate. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Don Kaler. Go ahead.
3: I think it's sort of the same thing, but when I, my thoughts on that was if, uh, if love is life, then, then hatred would be death. And so if you're acting out on hate towards a brother, then, you know, death, murder. I think he even says he, even if you call your brother Raka, I think, which is a, like a word for foe or moron right. that does. that's you know, <laughs> killing the spirit. And, um, I, I, I had something with the last question. Oh, how do you, uh, how do you deal with the challenge of not hating? Yes. Uh, uh for me, it, it, it comes from knowing, you know, that, uh, that person that I may be feeling some resentment or ill feeling or let's say hate for, is also a tender love child of God, creating in God's image and God's spirit. Maybe it's real deep in that person, but it's in there. And uh, I know for myself, I'm a parent. And even if my kids are really misbehaving and maybe annoying the heck out of somebody, don't don't mess with my kids. So when I think about that, I uh, that kind of helps me out uh, as far as that they're God's children. And the the, the, the darkness receding If Jesus is the light of the world and every day we get one day closer to either him coming back or me going to him, that's how the the darkness is retreating or receding for me. Because every single day and every day that has ever happened is one day closer to either his return or me returning to him.
1: So uh, the darkness
3: is receding.
1: Darkness is received yeah absolutely the the yeah go ahead, Tim well
5: John uh l- later in this same epistle, John will reemphasize that very point in chapter three, yep uh, verse fifteen that love, if you hate you you are you're same as a murderer, right John reemphasizes what Jesus said
1: yeah multiple times it, it so um and it's interesting that when John writes about himself in the gospel, he calls himself the one that Jesus loved. <laughs> You know, a lot of times he doesn't even refer to himself by name. He just calls himself the one that Jesus loved. So he seems to be very conscious of the fact that he received love and to withhold love is not Christ-like. So, uh, Tim, even from your perspective, why do you suppose, you know, what else would you add to this? Why does Jesus equate hatred with murder?
5: Well, I think our brother alluded to it earlier. Uh, Murder is a taking of life and and where there's hatred there is no life, there's no love mm-hmm. and so ha- hatred is is, ta- is actually drawing life out of folks.
1: yeah yeah have you ever have you ever noticed i now i don't know you know maybe maybe this isn't something you know anyone would really uh want to elaborate on since we're being recorded so I'll, I'll i'll use something that um i can remember from my own life as an example but i remember years ago now, this one's not recent, <laughs> but this, but it was still a powerful example. I noticed in my heart that I had developed hatred for somebody to the point that I remember si- I was riding as a passenger in a car, and I was thinking about the just the deep level of offense that I felt from a certain person in my life and, um, and how I was just so bitter about it to the point where I, I remember admitting to myself as I was a passenger with my thoughts there. That it would not cause me to shed a tear if that person died, that that person could die, and I still wouldn't feel emotionally impacted by it, and I remember noticing that and then having this pause of shock when that when I admitted that to myself, I think it was probably in my early twenties at the time, and when i when I was thinking about this, and that's when that that commentary that where Jesus equates hatred with murder really stood out to me because there I was as a professing believer admitting in my own heart that there, were, that there was somebody in my life who had offended me on such a deep level that I had now just admitted that if that person passed away, it wasn't going to emotionally produce sadness. So is there much of a, there's not much of a step between that and you know what Jesus is referring to in regard to murder. And so that just shows the the dangerous slope That a human heart can go down if we welcome bitterness, if we let ourselves hate and we and we start thinking that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because it's the seed of murder. You know, you even think back to uh, Cain and Abel, you know, in the earliest days of humanity. And what do you see? You see bitterness turning to jealousy. And what happens with that jealousy that turns into hatred and, and, and the end result is murder. And so uh, obviously, as believers of, in, in Christ, you know, we don't want to have murderous hearts, even if it's not something that we would say would turn into a physical act. Still, we don't want to to have that kind of mindset or demeanor as we interact with somebody, even someone who maybe has offended us on the deepest level. And so John is telling us here, it's like, listen, love isn't always a piece of cake. Love is a beautiful word, but it's not always a piece of cake. Sometimes it's, you know, in in most respects, it's an act of the will where we are relying on the Holy Spirit to empower us to do something that we're, we're saying, help me to do this in spite of how I emotionally feel right now in this moment. Paul, I saw your hand there just a moment. No, I was I just I'm going to good. say
4: when you were just speaking, you were saying about how it may not act, it may not lead to a real murder, but... Uh, you know, Jesus also taught us that he who who looks lustfully at, you know, another has already committed the sin. Right. Uh, you don't have to murder somebody uh, to have murdered someone. Uh, just the exactly just the, the intention there. Uh, that's why Jesus always emphasized, like we heard the the the, the, uh, uh, the um, reference to the passage where he speaks of raka yeah. Uh there's all there's also the passage where he says, you know, don't you know, take take the plank out of your own eye before you take the the uh, little sliver out of uh, your neighbor's eye and and if you if 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 you're offering a gift but you know anything against your brother, lay that gift down, go reconcile yourself and then offer the gift. He spoke about that a lot yeah. uh, in his earthly ministry.
1: Yeah, that's those are great examples. Thanks for bringing that up. And I and I also saw uh, Andrea. You you wanted to make a comment there too.
0: I was also going to say that you know while I don't necessarily think that Paul listed the fruit of the spirit in some sort of pecking order, it is the first fruit of the spirit. Love is the first fruit of the spirit that's listed too. And I kind of don't think that like that specific one being first is an accident. You know, we see that you know an evidence of god working in our hearts is that we love we have we love we act in loving ways Mm -hmm. um and so you know i think that you know it's the opposite of the murder conversation yeah right but like i was just thinking you know like as we as we see god working in our hearts and as we um become more and more aware of the way god loves us that prompts us to show love to other people
1: excellent Excellent. Yeah. And and uh, this kind of even reminds me too. you know, when you think about First Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter. Well, it speaks of faith, hope and love. And it says the greatest of these is love. And that statement used to puzzle me because I was like, faith and hope seem really good to me, too. Why? You know, why is the greatest of these love? And it kind of dawned on me somewhere along the way. Eventually, what happens to our faith? Our faith is going to become sight. So it's like, yeah, that's true. Our faith eventually, the things we're trusting right now, eventually we're going to see. So faith changes. Faith is going to become sight. And then hope is, you know, us looking forward. You know, it's a great cousin to faith there. You know, we we have hope in Christ that he's going to ultimately bring to finality the things that he's promised to bring to finality. But ultimately, those things are brought to finality. They're brought to fruition. So faith and hope are going to go through this transformation but what happens to love? It's just ongoing, it just keeps going, and it keeps going. So you have Paul saying, you know, f- these three remain: faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It- it's it's for this age and the age to come. Even when our faith becomes sight and our hope becomes our everyday reality. Tim, I saw your hand up there too.
5: Well, just another side of the the hatred and murder. Mm-hmm. With with the presence of hatred in our heart, is actually killing us. Yeah, it's taken our life. And so uh, that, that's an aspect, too. I don't think I don't think we think about all this taking our life out of us when we ate.
1: Right. Yeah. We're we're thinking that and it's probably hurting us even more so than it's hurting anyone else. Right. You know, where where uh, we're producing anxious thoughts, where we're producing bitterness and we're robbing ourselves of quality of life and, and length of years in some respects. So that's a good point. Um, one last thing I see we're, we're just about at the top of the hour here. So I'll just bring up one last thing and we'll just do this real quick before we finish up. But did you notice at the end of uh, the section we were looking at tonight how John talks about children and fathers and young men? And he has a variety of things that he says there for children and fathers and young men. And some people debate, you know, is he talking about people in relation to their biological age? Or is he talking about something different? And I don't have a definitive answer for you, and maybe some of you have an opinion on this, but I do think it's interesting that there's two ways to look at that, and they're both useful. You know, one is maybe he is talking about biological age and referencing just different people at different seasons of life that would make up the body of the church. and That's certainly helpful, and that's certainly interesting, and that's certainly good. But I also wonder if there's some merit to the thought that he may be talking about seasons of spiritual maturity that we go through where, you know, at, at one point you're a child in the faith. And at another point, you're, you know, maybe like a young man or a young woman in the faith. At another point you're like a father or a mother, you know, you're like, you're at a spot of, of, of parenthood in the faith. And I just think that that's kind of interesting when you apply that to the concept of spiritual maturity, because that's something that John is clearly trying to help believers to achieve. Right? he 's trying to walk the early church through the process of growing in christ likeness and so if we 're growing in christ likeness we 're growing spiritually mature. so I just wonder you know if, if anyone has any you know final thoughts for us um, and for those that will listen to this via the podcast. Uh, on spiritual maturity and just the stages of growing spiritually, maybe what that's looked like in your life or or what, what kind of process you see the Lord bringing people through where we go from child to young person to parent. Uh, any thoughts on the process of spiritual maturity and how the Lord facilitates that? I don't see any hands on this one. No takers? What's this? Oh, look at this. Yeah, Don... Uh, that illustration came up a few weeks ago, didn't it, Don? Why don't you unmute your mic and, and share with us what you, what you're showing? Because on the podcast, people can't uh, can't see what you're what you're sharing.
3: Yeah, it was. Uh, I think you, you you drew it just like this. I think with the stick figure and yeah, as the more closer, the more uh, deep our relationship with God. I guess the maturity of our Christian walk the more we know God and his goodness and his perfection, the more we see our failed and flawed, uh, unworthiness. And then you have the, uh, the cross bridging. I don't even know if we can see it on there, but,
1: uh, Oh yeah. It shows up that
3: uh, it, it that's what I, I just looked at that. I looked down and seen that when you just said what you said, but now I forget what you said, but uh, <laughs> it, it reminded me of this, uh, little stick figure drawing that you showed us a couple weeks ago. And,
1: and that's a good analogy for the question, too, because it's the idea, as our appreciation for God's holiness grows, our yeah. understanding of our sinfulness grows, but our appreciation for the fact that the cross of Christ bridges the gap between our sinfulness and the holiness of God. And that is maturity, right? That's what it looks like, in a nutshell, to grow spiritually mature, where our appreciation for the work of Christ And the holiness of God grows, and our understanding of our need for Christ grows at the same time. And, uh, you know, by God's grace, we have the privilege to grow spiritually mature, and it's, it's truly a gift. Well wonderful. I I really appreciate everybody joining us for our call tonight. I always feel like these times go so quickly. You know, as I'm looking at the clock, I was like, wow, we're already at the top of the hour. We actually snuck a few minutes over. I hope that's okay with everybody. I try and keep us pretty close uh uh you know, to the time here, but I I thought our discussion was very robust tonight and uh, it 's worth sneaking a few extra minutes in, so thank you to, to those of you who joined our Bible study in person tonight we 're grateful to have you. Our next one will be on March thirtieth and that'll be eight o'clock eastern time so eight p m Eastern time on march thirtieth and um, and we 're just grateful to have have you with us and and, uh, and you know we 're thankful for the time that we 're able to spend together. So have a wonderful evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining our call tonight. And uh, those of you listening on the podcast, join us next time. We'd love to have you. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks, John. All right. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon.
0: Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too?